Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, "The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels." They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, and for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, "Well said, teacher," and no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to them, "Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, 'The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet.' David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? That's the word of God. Thanks, Elijah. Let's pray." Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you make that find their fulfilment in Jesus. So tonight, in particular, as we think about what is still to come, please encourage us to have our eyes fixed firmly on Him. Amen. Okay. Well, can I ask you please to make sure you've got one of these leaflets open in front of you? You'll see on the right-hand side the passage that Elijah just read, and then on the left-hand side a reasonably detailed outline.、Um, if we get time, we'll get to the discussion question in the bottom right. And also, just a reminder: as I start on the screen behind me, there's the SMS number. If you have questions, you can feel free to send them in,、um, and we'll see how many we can get to a little bit later. Well,、uh, whereas last week、uh, we saw Jesus pitted against Caesar,、uh, this week's passage pits Jesus against Moses.、Uh, you notice there in the reading that I bolded the words Moses as a couple of points just to highlight that. Or to put it slightly different, last week was all about our relationship with the governing authorities,、uh, which, as you know, are new as of today in South Australia. This week is about our relationship with Scripture. That is, how do you read the Bible and how do you interpret it? And in particular, the question is, what from this life will last into the one to come? What from this life will last into the one to come? Now, as I begin, I want to acknowledge that if you're here tonight as someone who's not yet a believer,、uh, then I realise that me talking about a life to come or a resurrection age, I realise that's going to sound pretty strange.、Uh, but what I hope to do tonight is persuade you that what Jesus has to say on the topic is at least worthy of your investigation. If you look at the outline, then point one on the left-hand side, another trap for Jesus.、Um, like last week, Jesus' enemies are out to trap him. Um, and this time it's the Sadducees. Look at verse 27 on the right-hand side. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Now the reason you know it's a trap is because Luke points out that the Sadducees, 
Um, they're asking a question about a resurrection they don't actually believe in. Uh, in fact, we hear in, later in the Bible, in Acts 23, that they also don't believe in angels either. Interesting how Jesus will refer to them in his reply. But because they don't believe in the resurrection, what we're being told is that here are some people who are what we call nihilists. They are nihilists. That is, they think that this life is all that there is um, and that there's nothing more. And in fact, we are nothing more than just a bunch of atoms that are hanging out together for 70 or 80 years, but after we die, they disassociate and that's the end of us. We cease to exist in entirety. That's what the Sadducees believe. And um, I'm going to say something here really corny, but you're never going to forget it. If you therefore want to remember who the Sadducees are as opposed to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're the ones who don't believe that there's anything more to come. I see some of you shaking your heads. I must have done this before. They're, they are sad, you see, because they don't believe in anything to come. Isn't that great? Yeah, Jeff, you're the best. Sadducee. Anyway. Um, the point... Oh, you're shaking your head as well. Um, all right. The Sadducees have constructed a truly absurd hypothetical, haven't they? I mean, as they tell the story, as Elijah read it to us, surely you are wondering what each of the younger brothers were thinking as one by one their older brothers got married off and mysteriously died. Surely they're thinking, who is this lady? Well, Jesus' response to their very silly scenario comes in two parts. And actually, that's the reason I've laid out the reading in which I, the way in which I have. Jesus has something to say about the nature of the resurrection and something to say about the nature of God. Let me talk about each. Firstly, the nature of the resurrection. Verses 34 through 36. Look at the right-hand side. Verse 34. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. What Jesus is saying is that even though marriage is one of God's good gifts to us, uh, that some of us get to experience, even though marriage is a good thing, still it is only for now. It is not forever. According to Jesus, what matters in the age to come, in the life to come, in the resurrection age, what matters is, verse 36, being a child of God. And being a child of God is so important, so significant, that by comparison, your marital status, um, it's superseded. In fact, it's made redundant. Jesus is saying that some aspects of this present life will not last into the resurrection age. And I'll come back to that idea shortly, but as a teaser, Jesus gives another example. Uh, you'll notice there, he says, not only will they neither marry nor be given in marriage, verse 36, Jesus says, they can no longer die. They can no longer die. The sense is, it's impossible for them to die. It, think of being invincible or immortal. That's the first thing Jesus has to say about the nature of the resurrection. The second thing he has to say is about the nature of God. So look at verses 37 and 38, again on the right-hand side. Verse 37. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, 
but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now this is a little bit complicated, but let me try and explain what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that when Moses refers to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, well, Moses lived hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So clearly Moses is assuming that death has not terminated Abraham, Isaac and Jacob's relationship with God in some way. That is, in some way, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are still alive. How is that possible? Well, verse 38 is the key. Those last few words, for to God all are alive. For to God all are alive. Uh, The implication seems to be that even death is no obstacle to a relationship with God, with the God of the living. Now, of course, you and I can't grasp how that could possibly be so. Uh, That's because to us, not to God, but to us, death always signals the end of your existence. But not so for God. To him, all are alive. It's saying that God doesn't see the world the way in which we do. God, you might say, he has a different point of view. Uh, The best illustration I can think of is kind of like when you watch a movie and a scene unfolds and at the end of the scene, uh, you then see it played out all over again, but this time from a different camera angle so that you see different things that you didn't notice the first time around. To God... All are alive. Death is actually no problem at all. And I think that's actually the most wonderful thing for us to hear, the most comforting thing for us to hear, because you and I know we very rarely see things properly or perfectly. Well, the section concludes in verses 39 through 44 in that last paragraph with Jesus asking a question of his own. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into this, but basically what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out to his opponents that he is the Messiah, which means that he has authority to speak, and really, they ought to listen to him. Well, that's the trap that's been set for Jesus. Let me talk a point two there on your hand on the left-hand side about... Um, I guess taking a step back and the big issue that Jesus is raising for us here. What I want to talk about for the rest of our time is how we move from now to the resurrection age, um, how we deal with this idea of continuity and discontinuity. Because, of course, the question that's raised for us, if we're being told that things don't last into the age to come, although some do, the question is, in what way? What's the connection between life now and the age to come? Now, actually, we already got a hint that things are going to be a little bit different. You notice back in verse 36, Jesus talked about us being like the angels. And that indicates that something about our existence is going to be different from the existence that we have now. But the suggestion I want to make to you is that the way to think about it is that as you look at the connection between now and the resurrection age, you need to remember both continuity and discontinuity. You need to look for the things that will follow over, whilst also recognising that some things will come to an end. Now, if that concept sounds a bit hard to get your head around, um, the best illustration of this is Jesus' own body. So what's the connection between Jesus' body before his death and resurrection, 
and the body that he has after he is raised from the dead. What I'm trying to say is that there is both continuity and discontinuity. Have a look with me at Luke 24. Uh, it's printed there on your handout on the left-hand side. Uh, here, Jesus has, ra- has been raised from the dead and he appears to his disciples. Uh, this is in the days after his death. Look at what it says there, verse 36. And whilst his disciples were still talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And whilst they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. What's the connection between Jesus' body before and after his resurrection? Well, I'm saying there's both continuity and discontinuity. Continuity, his body is still recognisably his. It is still clearly Jesus. And in fact, he has scarred hands and scarred feet to prove it. And what's more, the body that he has, it's still a physical body. It still needs feeding in some way. Don't you love Luke's attention to detail here? He talks about Jesus asking for food and then giving him a piece of broiled fish. I mean, don't you want to know how did they prepare the food so that you could prepare food like that as well? So there's a sense of continuity, but there's also clearly discontinuity. Jesus' body is radically different compared to what it was before. The reason I say that is because of how the passage began. Look at verse 36. Whilst they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, in John's account, John specifically says that the room is locked and the doors are closed because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And somehow Jesus just passes through the walls like that. Discontinuity. Something is radically different about his body. Now, the Apostle Paul takes that illustration... And he applies it to us to say that just as Jesus' body is now different, so will yours and mine be in the resurrection age. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Famous passage, well known to many Christians. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul is saying that when we are raised, the body that we will have, it will still be ours, but it will be radically different. It will be clothed in immortality. What Paul is saying is that the resurrection is about more than just prolonging or extending our current lives. It's about something radically different, much, much better. Which I think is, again, a wonderful relief and comfort. Because even if your life is good at the moment, and to be frank, for most of us, it is pretty good, Even if it's good, it is never perfect or complete. 
and it is always short-lived. Well, all this talk about continuity and discontinuity, it's not meant to be some kind of esoteric, intellectual, hypothetical discussion. It's not meant to make us daydream about eternal realities. It has very real implications for how we live in the here and now. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time, at point three. So what from this life will last into the age to come? What from this life will last into the age to come? And I want to talk about it in three categories. I want to talk about the good things that will last. I want to talk about the not good things that won't last. And I want to talk about the good things that will last forever. They're there on your handout. Firstly, the good things that will not last. Actually, I want to start here because the whole subject of today's passage began with Jesus pointing out that marriage, a good thing, it will not last forever. Now, well, of course, we know that to be true, right? You know that to be obvious. Marriage doesn't last forever, even during this life. Uh, over the years, my wife and I prepared many excited, young, engaged couples for marriage. Um, as we sit down and prepare them for marriage, one of the first things that we talk about on the first session is that we say to them, their marriage is going to end in death. When did I know how to bring the fun to these catch-ups, as you can tell? One of them, in all likelihood, is going to be single again, unless they happen to simultaneously die. Now, this tells you something a bit about my own marriage. Without being morbid here, um, my wife has said that she would very much like for us to therefore go down together in a plane crash. So I just want to say to you, if you ever see us about to board a plane, I'd choose a different flight at that point. Now, I realise that this talk about marriage not lasting might actually bring grief and sadness uh, for some here, not many, but for some here who are happily married. Or perhaps if you're thinking ahead to wanting to be married one day. Uh, for that reason, I understand that there is a grief with this concept. Some people think that when Jesus said in verse 36 they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Some people think that what Jesus is just saying is there'll be no more new marriages. And to be fair, remember I talked about continuity and discontinuity? Continuity, I think, suggests that, well, if you are married in this life, that so shapes you that it cannot simply be airbrushed out of your history, even in eternity. Uh, for that reason, actually, um, allegedly, Martin Luther, the great German reformer, Martin Luther apparently uh, made an agreement with his wife, Katie, that they would sit next to each other in heaven. Isn't that nice? Uh, in fact, my own dear wife, uh, she keeps telling me to meet her in heaven at one of the 12 gates that are mentioned in Revelation 22. My problem is I can never remember which one. But the point that Jesus is making is that because marriage is about more than just the joining of a man and woman, above all, marriage is meant to be a symbol of God's unending love for his people, then what Jesus is saying is that because that symbol of God's love will no longer be needed in the resurrection age, then marriage will have no more use. You see, in the resurrection age, when we are with Christ when we are like Christ. In fact, 
when we know his love for us, not just in part, but in full, in completion, marriage as a symbol has no further use. And so the discontinuity side of things reminds us that in the life to come, in fact, it is more important to be identified as a child of God. That's more important than any other relationship you might have, even more important than marriage. It's saying that in the life to come, marriage will be superseded and redundant. And as we've seen time and time again throughout this series, once again, the vertical shapes the horizontal. The vertical, our relationship with God, matters more and defines how we relate to each other. If we are God's children, everything else is secondary. Now, what's the application? What difference does that make for us? Well, here's what I want to say. I want to say to you, enjoy the good things of this life, like marriage, enjoy the good things of this life that God gives us in such abundance. Enjoy them. Delight in them. Thank God for them. That's their meaning, actually. That's why God has given them in the first place. So enjoy them, but but don't be devastated when you don't get to enjoy all of them in this life. Don't get too attached to them because they won't last and you'll inevitably lose them. And above all, don't idolise the good things of this world. Don't be like the rich fool we met back in Luke 12 who lived only for these things and on death discovered that he had nothing left. No matter how good the good things are of this life, if they are only for this life, it wouldn't be very smart to have things for now and nothing which lasts forever. Some good things will not last. Secondly, on your hand out there, what about the not good things that will not last? Well, actually, this is really positive as well. Uh, to start with the obvious, what not good things will not last into the resurrection age? Well, one of them is death. There will be no death in the new creation. And remember that lovely phrase that we saw back in verse 36? They can no longer die. The children of God can no longer die. It's as if they've died once, and so, to use a, a vocabulary all of us understand, having died once, they now have immunity from death forever. And that's the reason why, on our wedding day, Wendy and I had Revelation 21 read out. It's printed there on your handout. On our wedding day, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The not good things of this world will not last. And so this week, what I thought I'd do is that I'd start a list of some of those not good things that will not be in the resurrection age and in the life to come. I thought I'd share some of that list with you tonight, not to be morbid or macabre or ghoulish, or not so we dwell on them, but so that we might marvel and dream and imagine for just a moment about how wonderful it will be when those aberrations have no longer any part in our existence. They're not good things that will not last. There will be no death 
or mourning or crying or pain. In the age to come, there will be no cancer or COVID or dementia or decay or even backaches. There will be no exams, no swap back, no redundancy, no unfair dismissal. In the life to come, there will be no rejection, no conflict, no misunderstanding, no disappointment. In the resurrection age, there will be no loneliness, no separation, no heartache, and no regret. And in the life to come, there will be no sin, no presence of sin, no desire to sin, no ability even to sin. None of it will last. All of it will pass away. And the application, therefore, well, it's pretty straightforward. Those not good things of this world, painful though they are, well, you can put up with them for now, for a little while longer, knowing they are not forever. Because one day, they will no longer be part of our experience. Before I get to my final point, um, and it's with a heavy heart that I'm going to say this, but it's important for me to do so given the subject of today's talk, which began with marriage. I understand, of course, that what I'm about to say doesn't apply to most in this particular gathering, because most aren't married, but some of you will be one day. What I want to say is that for some people, the not good thing that will not last into eternity is an unhappy marriage one that is consistently failed to symbolise God's unending love for his people. So sadly, for some people, worse than being unfulfilling or disappointing, for some, marriage has even been abusive or violent. Now, I want to say tonight that if that is your experience, or if that ever is your experience... I want to say how tragic that is and how appalling and how utterly wrong it is in every way. You should never suffer in that way and it is completely against God's plan for marriage. If that's your experience or if it ever is, can I urge you now, please don't wait a single day more to get help. I'd reach out to someone who you trust or come and talk with me or with any of the pastoral staff now. Please don't ever think that you must wait for the resurrection age to escape an unhappy marriage. Okay, that's a sobering point. Let me come to our final point tonight um, on a more positive note. Some good things will last into the life to come. Some good things will last into the life to come. Now, remember again that continuity and discontinuity point that I was making. The big question is, what are they? What are those things? Because surely you want to know, right? Or, or to slightly change the metaphor, surely you want to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will last into eternity, not just treasures on earth that will not. So what are they? 
What are the good things of this world which will last into the resurrection age? What I'd like to say tonight is that the one thing the Bible is adamant about, the one thing the Bible is crystal clear on will last into the age to come is people. It's people. Now, of course, that sounds obvious if you're a Christian who believes that Jesus rose from the dead and that our God is the God of the living. But I take it you can see how completely contrary that is to nihilism. I am saying that the one thing we know with 100% certainty is that people will be in the resurrection. The only question is whether people will be raised to eternal life or to eternal condemnation. That was the point of the story that we saw back in Luke 16, the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. The one thing that we know for certain will be in the resurrection is people. Why? Well, because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said that he was the first fruit of a great harvest to come. How wonderful that is to hear, to be reminded of. How wonderful it is for those who are God's children and who therefore have Jesus as our oldest brother to know that we will be with him in all eternity. I think of our dear sister, Esther Chong, killed in that tragic car accident last week. I think what I and so many have been clinging to and have been comforted by is the conviction that to him, she is alive. To him, she is alive. Well, if you fast forward to the end of Luke's account, uh, you'll see Jesus' great commission of his disciples. What he's going to say to them is that The resurrection, his resurrection, that's the thing that his disciples are to be witnesses to. Because his resurrection is the new thing, the hinge on which everything in reality turns. He is the first fruit of a great harvest to come. So look with me at Luke 24, verse 46, printed at the bottom left-hand side. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Uh, Can I say that this was my testimony, this was my story when I became a believer? As a young adult, I remember thinking, how can I be certain about what Jesus says? And the answer, I think, is it lies in his own resurrection from the dead. And so you'll see on the bottom right-hand side, uh, there's some resources that I've listed there. Um, someone put in my hand a very old book by a guy called Frank Morrison called Who Moved the Stone? It was written nearly 100 years ago. But it was a book that tried to help explain did Jesus rise from the dead? And being convinced that he did, that was the thing that changed everything for me. Because of that, Jesus says that we're to be witnesses to his death and his resurrection... And as a result, forgiveness of sins is now available for all people everywhere. That's such good news, such good news that we want to preach it 
to all nations. And that's why, as we prayed earlier for CMS, we keep praying that the gospel might go to the very ends of the earth. Well, here's where I want to leave it. Here's my challenge. What are we Christians known for? What are we Christians known for? What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? Uh, For some of us who are Christians, uh, we're known for our concern for the environment. Uh, Why? Well, because Jesus is Lord over creation. He is Lord even over the environment. And so looking after that which belongs to him, that is a good thing to do. For some of us, we want to be known for our success in our studies, in our profession. Because we want to actually do all that we do for God's glory. Some of us want to be known in due course for our devotion to family. Because we've been a great spouse or parent or grandparent or at the moment a great child or sibling. Some of us want to be known for our character. That we're humble and gracious. That we serve others. And that we're self-effacing. Those are all good things to aspire to. But did you notice what Jesus first and foremost charges his disciples to be witnesses to? It was to be witnesses to his death and his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. Because if people repent, then like us, they become children of the resurrection. That's what we're to be known for. We're to be known as people who witness to Christ's death and resurrection Because as we do so, we testify to his lordship even over death itself. Now, of course, some of us are sitting there thinking, well, if this is all going to be so great, why hasn't Jesus begun the resurrection age already? Why is he taking so long? I don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, There are some hints in scripture, but it's not, you know, there's no definitive reason, I think. It does mean, however, that if you're here today as someone who's not yet a Christian, it is not too late to sign up. Over previous weeks, I've talked about books and articles that will help you to think further on the things that we talk about on Sunday night because we can't cover everything. Tonight, instead, I thought I'd just refer to a podcast. If you're into listening to things, again, under the resources, you'll see there's a reference there uh, to a great series of podcasts called Undeceptions. Um, there's a podcast all about Easter and all about the evidence for the resurrection that you might like to check out. But can I say this to those of us who are Christians, to the members of this church, if you're wondering why hasn't Jesus begun the resurrection age already? Well, one of the implications is that when we do doubt, I want to say that that doubt is completely understandable but totally unnecessary. Our doubts are completely understandable, but they're totally unnecessary because Jesus' own resurrection is the guarantee of what is still to come. And that means it's not too late for us to start being witnesses because most of our city hasn't heard about resurrection and about the life to come. Can I say that if you're going to be a witness, it's, uh, well, the first time you tell someone, they might not possibly believe you. You know, they might not possibly believe in the resurrection from the dead on the first attempt. It might take more than one conversation. It probably did for you. But don't give up. 
Imagine being part of someone's journey from death to life. Imagine being involved in clothing someone in immortality that they might never die. Well, um, I've used up more than enough of my time, so I reckon what I'll do is I'll pray at this point. Uh, we won't have a discussion question, but we'll take a few Q&A questions and then we'll sing after that to wrap up. So let me pray first, then we'll go to Q&A. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have because of what you have done first in Jesus and so you promise you will do in us. Uh, we ask that um, you might give us sober judgment in the way in which we look at the things of this world. Help us to see that it is people who will last into eternity. And so we pray, help all those around us to become children of the resurrection as well, that they might have life everlasting. Amen.